Welcome, I'm Kasada Bowman. Today, my guest is Chef Simeon Hall Jr. He joins us from the Bahamas. Chef Hall has been advocating the farm-to-table and sea-to-spoon movements long before they became popular slogans. Chef Hall draws on his history of island cuisine while using classic flavors, techniques, and ingredients. So I'll start by asking, Chef Hall, have you eaten yet? And if you have, what did you eat today? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me. And uh, I guess that's, a, a, that's an amazing way to start a conversation like this. Uh, I had sheep tongue sauce. Sheep tongue sauce is a very popular dish here in the Bahamas. It's literally a broth, a broth of uh, spice and citrus with uh, braised sheep tongue. And so the Bahamas is one of the largest consumers of the offal of uh, sheep tongue. Interesting. And so this is, a, this is a common breakfast. It certainly is. It's an everyday common breakfast. Sauce is an everyday common breakfast, and sheep tongue sauce is a very everyday common breakfast. It, and it sounds, I mean, just the premise of what it is, very nutritious. Well, it is. It's very low calorie because sheep tongue, as you can imagine, is very lean. And it's literally a broth of, of sheep tongue, onions, allspice, uh, some very spicy peppers, and lime. Salt, and that's it. Delicious. And it's so interesting because the whole broth craze is semi-new to America. I mean, the last decade, everyone's been trying, oh, bone broth is so healthy for you and you should eat it. And you've been doing it in the Bahamas forever. Forever, literally forever. Because what they used to do is uh, way, way before, even uh, uh, the times before Christopher Columbus, the indigenous people of the Bahamas used to make a lot of food with ocean water. So ocean water being high in, in salinity was the way that they flavored their pots. I'm using a very, very high amount of seafood. That's the way that our forefathers ate here in the Bahamas. And so that is where we get dishes like sauce and boils and stews in the Bahamas are very brothy. And that's the way we've eaten for, for, for centuries. That's so interesting when you talk about seawater. My husband is a chef and he's been fermenting vegetables with seawater lately. And it's amazing to us how much that seawater with the sugars from the vegetables is just a natural great pickle. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. It's nature's balanced uh, 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 pickle juice. You yeah. can't get it more, more balanced than that for sure, 100%. Well, so I'll jump right in, Chef Paul. I know you are a busy man. So currently, COVID is crushing us here in the U.S. New restrictions are being rolled out weekly in cities across our country. Personally, I'm taking it day by day here in New York, creating contingency plans if they eliminate indoor dining. It's beyond stressful, as you know. Um, I own a restaurant, and I'm responsible for my team, their families, Uh, This is also the second time this year that we're dealing with these rising COVID numbers and restrictions. The last I read about COVID restaurant restrictions in the Bahamas 
outdoor dining was allowed Monday to Saturday, while Sundays was drive-through and takeaway only, with dining at hotels expected to resume soon. Chef Hall, are those restrictions still in place? Also, from what you're hearing and seeing there, please describe what's happening in the Bahamas right now when it comes to restaurants and COVID. Uh, well, yes, those restrictions are still in place. Uh, they are monitored almost on a daily basis, so it could change tomorrow. This conversation now could mean absolutely nothing in 24 hours. And so it is, it is something that is a living uh, organism across the world. So uh, the Bahamas is, is, as you know, very, very uh, touristic in nature. And so we have been depending on that. But on the local scene, uh, I think we're at a point now where families are getting tired of cooking at home. You know, at the beginning, we were able to say, oh, cook with your family and get together and everything else. But I think that's one off a bit. So with that in consideration, they have allowed restaurants to open during the week and uh, hotels can file for uh, special exemptions to those new uh, policies, but they're very strict on it. Like, for example, there are hotels that require you to show up if you're coming from the outside and not an in-house guest. You have to come with a COVID test as recent as five days before to dine on property. So there's a lot of things that are being put in place. You know, some of them not as tough, but some of them are very tough. And it, it definitely is something that we're all seeing here in the Bahamas. And for me, my entire family had COVID at one point. There are six of us in the house. We had COVID and we were, you know, because I can cook, I did a lot of cooking, but we were definitely very, very grateful for the essential workers that were still working and the delivery people that would drop off food to the house. Wow, your entire family and yourself. What was that like? How severe or did you have a mild case? Well, it varied in our house. Uh, I would say we were all pretty mildly symptomatic, uh, but we all experienced it in different ways. Uh, my dad was the worst. He's uh, 75, so he, had, he has uh, underlying issues. So he had been hospitalized, and then that's when we discovered he had it. And when we all got tested, we, we, we all tested positive. My mother is asthmatic. So she had, I think, one or two days when she had some severe attacks. And that was it. My, my nephew, same as my sisters. Uh, we all just had, you know, terrible flu days. Myself was the only one in the house, oddly enough. And ironically enough, I lost all taste of uh, uh, sense of taste and smell for about seven days. So uh, you can imagine being a chef and not being able to taste anything whilst I was cooking. It was very, very scary. Very scary. And also what we're hearing now is the unknown side effect. Uh, they, they call them long haulers, people who had COVID and these things that you aren't sure are these are these symptoms from COVID? I don't know, but months later, still having brain fog and things like that. Have you noticed yeah. anything? Most definitely. That is definitely a challenge. You would have a day where just out of the blue, you would have severe coughs. No, no, no issues. You're all clear. 
you, you know, we go through a very uh, strict routine of being able to go back out into society. But, you know, just out of the blue, you'll have a night where you can't stop coughing. And, you know, those, that is definitely something that I think will have to be investigated is those long-term side effects. And it's interesting, in the Northeast, it's cold now. So we think during the summer and fall with milder weather, we thought, okay, the the virus wasn't, um, the numbers weren't rising. And so we attribute that, I believe, back then to, oh, well, it's nice, people are outside. You're quite literally in on an island in the Bahamas, warm weather, mild weather, year-round. So it's interesting to hear COVID is still a real thing in warm areas. Let's remind everyone. Yeah, 110%. It definitely has no sort of uh, exact formula for where, how, when, why COVID is going to be. And it definitely is something that we're seeing uh, quite a bit here in the Bahamas based on our uh, uh, numbers in terms of our population. But we are very, very fortunate now that the main island and the most densely populated island, which I live on, New Providence, is seeing a steady decline in numbers. That's great to hear. And I think that leads in to my next question. So I've been reading a lot about the Bahamas, what's happening there. Uh, Generally speaking, I thought it was interesting uh, hotels and restaurants, from what I read, make up 50% roughly of the GDP and employ two out of every three Bahamians. Early projections from the minister say that the tourism industry is unlikely to make a full recovery until 2023. As far as cruise ships go, February 2021 will likely be the earliest that will return to the Bahamas. That's at least what they're saying now. And typical passenger numbers are not expected to return until the second half of 2022. Now, it's one thing to hear those stats, but those numbers are connected to real people with needs and families. Chef Hall, do you think the journey to recovery will be a long one? And also, what do you think that journey looks like? Well, you know, uh, I I definitely think it's going to be a long one because we have varying degrees of type of the type of of visitors we have in the Bahamas. Uh, The more affluent visitors that can take private jets, they go to private keys, uh, private estates, etc. Those are the ones that we see see have uh, been the first to, to, to feel comfortable to come back to the Bahamas, even though. Uh, as as my, my colleagues that are private chefs will tell you, they have had record number of cancellations from everybody. And so it definitely says that even those people are a little bit more skeptical about traveling now. And then you have people like uh, cruise ship passengers. Uh, just last week, the CDC uh, uh, announced that they wanted uh, people not to take cruises. So, you know, you're going to have some people that are daring enough to say, you know, we're still going to go. But that's definitely going to impact a huge majority of people that were thinking about going on cruise, cruise, uh, cruises even in the new year. So that's definitely going to change. And we've seen at the Four Seasons Ocean Club uh, and, and other resorts around, uh, around the country, we've seen drastic uh, declines in and, and a very sporadic 
kind of, uh, you know, we're coming today, maybe we're not coming anymore kind of uh, vibe from our guest. And, and back to something that you said earlier, the numbers say 50%, but I say 100% of every single Bahamian is connected to tourism in some way, shape, or form. I did a piece in the local uh, uh, Guardian about two years ago that connected every single Bahamian to the industry of tourism. For example, uh, you go to a grocery store and a tourist is buying uh, groceries because they're staying in an Airbnb. You know, they're one, they're, they're, they're buying groceries. And then two, they ask the cashier to the register, where's your favorite place to eat? The cashier then in turn tells them where they, where they would suggest to go, and they end up going there. That's a full cycle of people that are not in those numbers because they aren't directly working in tourism that show and support the fact that every single Bahamian is, is touched by uh, the tourist dollar. When you put it like that, that that is real. And 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 when I was reading, they were talking about the recession uh, years ago and how it took close to seven years. So I wonder how long this will take. I'm I'm assuming it won't be as long only because if the vaccine hits the Bahamas and hits the states and hits Europe, then people will feel comfortable with taking the vaccine and traveling. Right. Uh, most definitely. I, I, I think the recovery time won't be as long as that, but it definitely depends on a lot of factors. And there's still a lot of uncertainty around. So, for example, I'm doing another uh, training course and, and, and I'm doing a piece in the local uh, newspapers that talks about uh, the food industry, the hospitality industry, not after COVID, but during COVID. I think a lot of us are focusing on what to do after COVID and after vaccines, et cetera, but that is going to take a, 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 a bit of time. So I'm now pushing for people to be a little bit more prepared during COVID. How does a small restaurant that cannot afford a safety manager like a major hotel get ready for you know when the, the prime minister allows you to uh, have people back in your restaurant and to do outdoor dining and seating. A lot of them don't have the know-it-all to get that done. So we, we're working on small businesses in particular, small restaurants, to make sure that they have the knowledge, the training, the support, based on some courses that I did and, you know, my background, to make, that, make sure that it's not just us getting prepared for after COVID, but during COVID itself. I'm so glad that you are there providing those skills and services to people and spreading the word. It's so important. And actually, that goes very nicely into my next question and also what you're doing there. You're doing so much. One thing that I think will help in this journey to recovery and during COVID, as you just mentioned, is your dinner club. You put out a call for action calling on all farmers, chefs, musicians, artists, mixologists, everyone, anyone. The Dinner Club is a place to connect people of all walks of life, 
The hope is to unite everyone while sharing a meal together. And from there, the connections will build authentically with the goal of building a greater audience that will positively impact each person's creative vision. When I read about this event, I was drawn to it immediately because it was a selfless action. It didn't benefit just one person. It's uplifting, and it's also grounded in a strong purpose of positivity and numbers. Chef Paul, how did this idea come to you? Well, you know, this has always been something that I was directed to do. Food is fellowship. Food is, is the way that people come together and connect. In almost every instance, there's a connection. Even if you are a table of one in a restaurant or you're sitting at a bar by yourself, nine times out of 10, you can connect with either the bartender, a server, somebody to the right or left of you. So food definitely connects and it creates fellowship. And that's something that I've always uh, been a part of. And it's something that I wanted to make sure even during a year where most people are talking about how devastating 2020 has been, I wanted to make sure that at the beginning of the new year, regardless of how next year is going to shape up, I wanted to make sure that we had this outlet, this event, this purpose for, for different people to get together and talk ideas, talk shop over food. Food opens people up. I've never, ever seen somebody very, very uh, uh, irate or upset when they were having a good meal. You know what I mean? So it allows people to definitely let their guard down a little bit, talk politics, talk uh, about COVID, talk uh, mental health, talk all sorts of things from different perspectives. And I think that is w w why we really wanted to do this. I, I did a video several years ago with this same sort of concept. And, and I didn't even think about it then because it was a video that I did for the promotion of my farm to table movement here in the Bahamas. And that has been the sort of catalyst in the back of my mind ever since. And then there was a piece with a very famous black chef in uh, this, this month's Food and Wine magazine. And he was doing the same thing in New York. His name, uh, I forget his name right now, but it definitely was, and, and they did a piece on it. And I was like, you know what? This is the answer to my question of, should I do this? Because now that gave me confirmation. And immediately, literally 24 hours later, I, I formed the club. I put it out. It's been getting great responses. And hopefully, uh, starting in January, we'll, we'll be able to make those connections. I have no doubt that it will because what you just broke down, when ideas come to you and you act on them and they just come together, it is meant to be. Yeah, yeah, 110%. I agree with you. So I'm, 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 I'm super excited. And, you know, I just, I, I got a call from a lady yesterday who said that she wanted to sponsor one of the, the, the months. And, you know, this was a lady who, literally just got laid off and she's using some of her severance pay to sponsor one of these events. And so I was touched by that to know that she, just like what you were saying, understood the relevance of something like this. And she wants to volunteer 
to get more sponsors, more people involved, because my number one goal of this is that it is not for profit and everybody who comes to the event comes for it free of cost, free of charge, no charge whatsoever. But on the flip side, I want to make sure that the farmers and everybody else that we do get involved in, they are paid a premium price for their product. So that takes some backing, and I think we're going to get it. I think you will. This it's in, it's incredible on so many levels. The fact that story that you just mentioned, you're going to continue to get that energy. That is karma. That is out there. That that is happening, and that is flowing. The energy is flowing around you. So it, it's incredible to see, and no doubt it will continue to come together and be extremely, extremely beneficial. So this this leads into Chef Hall. I want to talk about specifically Black Bahamian-owned restaurants. This will be a two-part question. First, with all the major hotels and resorts in the Bahamas, are there more non-Bahamian restaurants than Bahamian restaurants? And if there are more non-Bahamian restaurants, what do you feel is holding back most Black Bahamians from opening up their own spot? Uh, I guess, is it the general startup costs that we all deal with no matter where we start a restaurant in the world? Or do you see other issues unique to the Bahamas that are holding them back? Mm, That's a very good question. And you're asking the right person because I don't mince words. And so, yes, there are many, 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 many more non-Bahamian, whether it be Black Bahamians or White Bahamian-owned restaurants in the Bahamas especially in hotels. There's actually, uh, I think there may be three. We have a total of about 14,000 hotel rooms across the Bahamas, and there are less than half a dozen uh, Bahamian-owned restaurants, noted restaurants in any hotel across the Bahamas. And so that is definitely something that I've been advocating for. Uh, I think we're getting a little bit closer. I've had a discussion. I've had two discussions with major hotels in the past about getting branded in, in, in establishment. The deals didn't come through, but the fact that we are having those discussions now speaks volumes. Uh, unfortunately, we're still in the era where the global celebrity chef brings in the numbers. Um, and they bring in their package, they bring in their know-it-all, they bring in their following. And so a lot of people are still looking at that as a, you know, a, a, a good business decision. However, I'm looking at the fact that we need to make the turnaround to make sure that there's a true sense of place and a true appreciation of food culture in the Bahamas. The Bahamas has such an amazing food culture that that could be a whole different podcast within itself. And the, uh, another fact is uh, we need, and, and I've been doing it for some time, and, and my colleagues are uh, slowly coming around where we understand what is Bahamian food. Uh, I was a part of the, the school that thought uh, we, we, we had this question that divided was very uh, a very divisive question, which was, what was the Bahamas' national dish? 
And oddly enough, it wasn't until maybe earlier this year when, you know, as I got through the levels of, of, of creating my first cookbook, which is very Bahamian-centric, I was able to uh, debunk that question. Because the truth of the matter is, it's, there is one Bahamian dish on the books, but there are 700 islands, keys, and rocks. There's absolutely no way that you could have one national dish for 700 islands. We have 16 major islands within our archipelago of, uh, uh, of our country. So to say have one national dish is like saying, what is the national dish of the United States of America? What is the national dish of Mexico? Regionally, specificity plays in, uh, comes in place there. And you know we have to know and understand all of the islands to create what then becomes a Bahamian restaurant. And that's one of the things that I don't think has ever been presented as, as a whole across the Bahamas, especially not in a hotel. And so that is my new journey to make sure that they understand that there is a, uh, uh, a very specific, island-specific uh, cuisine that can definitely represent and stand and hold its ground in a restaurant, a full restaurant, in any hotel across this, uh, this country. And to answer the second part of your question, you're absolutely right. We share the same burden as everybody else across the globe. Startup capital. Startup capital here has been very, very tough. Very, very tough. And I can tell you because I've been going after it for quite some time. And it's, it's, it's very challenging. Restaurants fail at an even higher rate here in the Bahamas than they do in the U.S. So if you can imagine that, and the banks still haven't bought into that level of risk yet. So going to, to a, a usual bank to get a loan to open a restaurant here in the Bahamas is almost unheard of. Um, you have some families, some Bahamian families, you have a few black Bahamian families. You have uh, a, a very popular Greek Bahamian family that they, they are doing very, very well across. You have a very, very successful uh, black female-owned uh, restaurant chain here across the Bahamas and now in South Florida as well. So there are some success stories, but they are far, too far and too uh, in between for me to feel comfortable enough to express some sort of comfort level in the fact that we have enough Bahamian-owned restaurants across our chain of islands. It's so interesting, you know, you travel, I travel, and, and I'm, I'm going to assume we're similar with when we touch down in another country, I don't want to eat at a hotel. That's the last thing I want to do yeah. is eat at the resort. Yeah. So. Yeah. Is and I feel like that is gradually changing. You know, you have a a lot of customers who think they're foodies. I hate the word, but oh, we're foodies. Oh, we travel for food. It's it's you know becoming popular all of a sudden. Right, so right, right. I I would assume that the resorts would want to touch on that and bring that in because it is such a popular thing to have 
almost like in New York City right now, there are food halls popping up almost every six months. Right, right. And those food halls put people on the map, you know, that don't have that startup. So that still isn't something in the Bahamas? Well, you know, oddly enough, we had a sort of food hall open up just last week. A friend of mine and a team has put together that sort of collaboration in a different format, but they definitely allow in persons that didn't have or don't have the opportunity to do that. They're allowing that to happen. We just, uh, uh, about six months or less than a year ago, we established our first food truck hall. Uh, uh, well, uh, sort of park, I should call it, here in the Bahamas. And, you know, I'll, I'll just quickly tell you two things. One, uh, again, when I say farm to table, see the spoon, foodie, uh, and, for example, the words foodie and food porn, when I, when I used them such a long time ago, initially those words were flagged on Instagram. <laughs> You couldn't use the word food porn on Instagram. It was flagged. The word foodie was flagged. These were flagged words on Instagram. That was us using that so long ago before it was even in the mainstream. So that was, you know, something that I I definitely always find uh, pretty hilarious. Um, uh, My grandmother used farm to table long before you know, those, those, those expressions were around. And so I was one of the first chefs here in the Bahamas that wanted to get a food truck established. And believe you me, when I started it, it was unheard of here. And so they did not know how to license a food truck because everything that was around would be like a food truck that was stationary The tires were off. It was flat. It never moved. And so it had a business location. Well, the the whole, you know, idea of a food truck is to be mobile, to go with crowds, to go where it's needed, et cetera. And that wasn't even on the books. It's now slowly coming onto the books. When I first came back, and just like you, after traveling so much, I wanted to make sure that people had a different experience and a sense of place around food, I started some of the first pop-ups here in the Bahamas. And when I, the first time I wanted to do a pop-up, I was trying to partner with small restaurants, businesses, etc. I myself wrote 36 restaurants, hand-delivered 36 restaurants, talking about this phenomenon of popping up and taking over spaces and using a restaurant that was closed down or using a restaurant for dinner that was only open for early breakfast and collaborating. And I can tell you out of 36 places that I went to, I got 36 no's. In fact, I think I got 37 no's because somebody told me no twice. (laughs) Why is that? I, I see, I don't understand that for, for example, I own a daytime restaurant. So right. we have openings as, at night. It is empty at night. And we have a pop-up. We have a pop-up that 
has been with us for years now and yeah. we have a great relationship and you know it's a equally beneficial relationship as well you know so why would they why were they so quick to say no what is that anytime you're 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 going in uncharted waters anytime you're benchmarking anytime you're very progressive you're going to definitely meet people that simply are not and so that is what i met now fast forward to today some uh, many years later, there are pop-ups, there are food trucks, there is a change in the in the temperature of, of culinary here in the Bahamas like I've never seen before. Some of it good, and some of it, it still needs to be uh, 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 revised a little bit, but there's definitely a solid movement here in the Bahamas when it comes to food and beverage. Well, I'm going to stay with food, but also go into a little of a fangirl moment for me. I hear that you've cooked for Rita Marley many, many times. Yeah. It may be nothing new for you at this point, but I am a big fan of hers and, of course, her uh, late husband, Bob Marley. Yeah. And I hope this isn't crossing a boundary of chef-client confidentiality, but if you are able to indulge me a fan... Could you perhaps share with us one of your favorite stories about your time with Rita? Oh, yeah, most definitely. She is definitely somebody who allows us to speak about our time with her to a certain extent. So I can definitely tell you, first of all, it was an amazing uh, experience to work for her. In fact, when and if she comes to the Bahamas, whenever that is, I still do work for her. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm still on the books. So it's not over yet. That journey continues. She's an amazing person. Very, very regal. Very, very strong. She's an acute businesswoman to this day. She does. She goes in her office every single day at 7 a.m. And she, she does so many things that are still absolutely amazing. Um, on the food side, she is, you know what? It was odd enough, after doing what I was doing in terms of supporting local, pushing local, all those years, it wasn't until I went to work to Dr. Rita Marley that I understood and saw how many ingredients are actually in the Bahamas. She is somebody that does not eat anything down to her spices and seasoning uh, sea salt that she does not know where it comes from. She has to know. If she doesn't know, you cannot serve it. Because anything you put on a plate, she's going to ask you where it came from. And so she's very acute on that. She still goes to the, to the dock and, and purchases her own fish uh, most of the time. So she has a relationship with all of the fishermen, farmers, here on the islands, and she's highly respected. And I can tell you two things that were amazing for me with her. Um, she celebrates her heritage, but as you know, she was one of the lead backup singers for her husband. And you've never in your life heard music until you've heard Rita Mali humming in the kitchen. It is a a, 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 a religious experience. It is something that will 
freeze you in your tracks because she still has her chops. She still can do a lot of things. And the next thing is she's a storyteller. And so there are several times she, she eats and she functions uh, in, in solidarity and peace. But there are several times she would literally pull up a table, put up a chair to the table in the kitchen where I was cooking, and she'll just start, we'll just start talking stories. And you know, she is very open and she she's she has a great sense of humor and she tells amazing stories and you know, just being there to hear her speak from time to time and to see her smile and and to see her uh, 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 be energized and and you know to talk about things that she knew and and, and did throughout her life and her career is an amazing the most amazing experience that I've ever had with any celebrity client. Chef Hall, you describing that, describing her hum in the kitchen, <laughs> describing her pulling up a chair and saying, sit down and talking, that gives me chills. Thank you so yep. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can feel it. I can feel <laughs> and, and put myself in that. Oh. It, it, is, it, is, it is one of those experiences that you don't forget. And, and even, again, the energy of saying it and you feeling it, imagine me being immersed in it so it's 10 times more i i was cooking with her for years and if she did that to this day if she does that i get goosebumps because i know she's going to drop some amazing knowledge and some amazing energy and then whenever she leaves most likely another great uh thing that you 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 will uh experience with somebody like her is listening to her late husband and her music in her house is a whole different experience. You can listen to the tracks, but it's totally different when she can talk to you about, or she can talk about when they sung that song or what that song was about or the meaning behind that song from her. It's absolutely a religious experience. Absolutely. Well, you are fortunate, my friend. Well, Chef Hall, for people listening, what is the one thing that you think people should know about what's happening in the food world in the Bahamas right now, and also one thing they should know about when it comes to what you are trying to accomplish in the food world in the Bahamas? Well, you know, I, I think that's uh, I can answer both those questions simultaneously. And that is, like I was saying earlier, was this now exposure of... Uh, the entire gamut of all of the, the differences and similarities across the 700 islands and keys of the Bahamas. Now that uh, persons like myself are exposing and celebrating all of the major islands individually and collectively, so many things are being unearthed that, you know, I, 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 I don't think I'll be able to capture all of it in my lifetime. For example, we have a dish like Kung Salad. And just a few weeks ago, I was challenged by somebody. And so I put it across my social media. And so I spoke about the dish of Kung Salad, which to you would most likely more be relatable as a ceviche. 
And that dish over each of the major islands is enjoyed so differently that it was mind-blowing. And to be able now to put out something that people in Long Island could know and understand how people in, the Bah in, in Nassau eat their uh, Kong salad and how people in uh, Grand Bahama eat theirs and how people in Bimini eat theirs. And it's so different. Mind you, the common denominator is the fact that we all love and appreciate seafood and especially conch. But then the difference is how we all enjoy that so differently from one another. And so that is the journey that I think the entire country has been on for many, 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 many years. Most people relate to the Bahamas as New Providence or Nassau. But that's only one little small part of it. It happens to be the capital, but it isn't, uh, you know, uh, the Bahamas isn't this homogenous amalgamation of cuisine. It's very, very different across the islands. And I think that in itself and each island speaking up and, and raising their hands and saying, look at my food. It's same, but it's different. You know, come and try the way that we do things here in, in, in in Guanaki, or come and try the way things that we do here in Spanish well. It's totally different than you guys do it in Nassau. We all know what it is. It's all centered in being uniquely Bahamian, but it is also unique and very island-specific as you travel the Bahamas. Chef Hall, thank you for sharing your story with us. I like ending the podcast asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed, a pro tip, or general life advice that you live by. Well, you know, I would say what I've said several times during the podcast is food is fellowship. And I think if we remember that, we will remember to reconnect with uh, our food experiences. Turn off your cell phone, invite your family to the dinner table, grab your younger ones, turn off the PlayStations, put everything on pause, get to the dinner table and understand because here's the most important thing. Culture is primarily made up of three components, food, music, and art. Food, music, and art. And those components separate each of us around the globe. And so if you can share and talk to your family about what it is and what food means to you, you will be absolutely amazed of what you will uncover. I, I again, being on this journey for all these years, cooking with my grandmothers, etc. I discovered just about a month ago around the dinner table that my great-grandmother was the first black woman in her neighborhood to own a corner shop where she sold small goods and small food from her house. And that was one of the things that I was absolutely amazed by that. And so, you know, just sitting down and talking with one another definitely is something that I think we should all look forward to and try to change that narrative across the globe to make sure that we use food not just for nourishment, 
but for uplifting and celebrating each other and our heritage. Beautiful advice. Chef Paul, where can people follow you? Uh, the easiest way to follow me is on my website, www.simeonhalljr.com. And once you get on my website, you can click on my other platforms, social media, etc. And definitely, uh, I think we, we have a lot to, to share and to make people understand the true Bahamian experience, especially as it relates to food and beverage. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Have You Eaten Yet? wherever you get your podcasts.